Hello Gasheads and welcome to take two of this edition of Gascast Q&A after technology kindly decided to mug us off on our first attempt last night. In this episode, Max and I answer questions on everything from where the team needs strengthening in January to whether results or performances matter most to us fans. So let's get Dave McCracken with the first question, which comes from Axgas, who asked if, brackets forgive, we beat Plymouth at home in the next round of the FA Cup and made it through to the third round draw for once, what would your ideal tie be? That's a good question. Um, I, I admit I hadn't really thought about it, uh, but then again, we did do this entire podcast last night and uh, I didn't have an answer then, so I've had a bit more time to think it through this time around. It was also a very good answer, so if you can, I'd like you just to repeat word for word what you said last night. I'll do my best to try and, try and remember. Yeah, um, yeah obviously the the obvious answer is that I'd like a top a top six Premier League side away from home. So you, the likes of Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, even Spurs now would be a great one with Mourinho going in and at, at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Something like that would just be, you know, those are the those are the moments that we dream of in the, in the cup. Um, but I also think that with this season, at least in my opinion, being a bit of a dead one, we could really do with the cup run. Um, and it'd be really nice if we could maybe reach... Fifth, fifth round or sixth round or maybe not sixth round that might be a bit ambitious but fourth or fifth round um, and to do that we need to sort of maximise our chances by getting as weak a team as possible um, at home so that we can progress and not only get as far as we can in the cup but get some cup money as well because as each round we get through the pot sort of accumulates and it cumulatively doubles each time so the further we get obviously the better it is for the club financially as well so part of me does want that dream tie but another part of me thinks let's just see if we can get as far as we can um, and I think certainly the style we play trying to grind out wins definitely sort of caters to that so if we can get the likes of um, someone like Barrow or Port Vale in the third or fourth round then that would be fantastic what do you think so my um, with Liverpool being my sort of second team as it were I guess going away to Anfield would be my sort of dream tie, really. I've been there a few times and uh, I just think it's an amazing place to to go and watch football. And so to see Rovers there would just be incredible. Um, And yeah, uh, Tottenham's a good one as well, like you said, with the new stadium and Mourinho going in and stuff. I think the only thing that puts me off the idea of that is that I think both of those places would be probably half full at best to see us. And, uh, you know, when we went to Fulham, it, it was all right because it was a smaller, it was a Premier League club. It was a smaller stadium. So even though it wasn't full, it didn't feel half empty. Whereas if we went to somewhere like Spurs with a 60 odd thousand capacity and there was only 25,000 or so rattling around in there, I think it would sort of take the, the gloss off the tie a little bit. So I'm tempted to agree with you and say if we could get a few weaker sides in inverted commas, uh, in the next couple of rounds, if we do get that far, and then um, try to really get further in the competition when it gets down to, you know, the big prize money, like you were saying, I think that's probably ideal for us, actually. Um, so yeah, I think I agree with you. Your answer last night changed my mind on it, and uh, I got to stick with that tonight. So yeah, that's Fair play. Um, yeah. I was just thinking back to the second round of the League Cup when we played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge a few years ago. It wasn't a full house, but the atmosphere was still absolutely rocking, I think. And that was pretty I wasn't there, to be fair, so I'll take your word for it. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that one, but um, obviously mm. that's sort of crossed that bridge if and when we do come to it. Um, Tom asks, with an average performance against Bromley, 
Are you happy with beating the National League side 1-0 or disappointed with how we played on the night? Um, both, because I think, um, you know, it was always going to be a tough game for us, I felt, going into it. Um, it was a sellout for them. Uh, so it's a big, big occasion for them. They're flying in their league at the top of it. So confidence in their squad is going to be sky high. Uh, the atmosphere sounded pretty decent. They were playing on a pitch which suited them a lot more than us. They're a lot more used to it than than we are. So I really felt like the odds were kind of stacked against us last night. And, you know, the, the obviously the BT cameras were there. So everyone who wasn't a gas head was... Uh, tuning in to see us get beat last night and probably half expecting it so we were on a bit of a hiding to nothing so I don't really care that it was only 1-0 I was just happy to get through the tie I think it was the sort of night where you just go there to get the job done and take that and uh, you know leave with the the next round in your pocket um, but having said that the performance was terrible <laughs> if you were a neutral um tune into that and you didn't know much about football I think you'd have definitely thought that we were the non-league side and Bromley were the league one team because we just couldn't string three four passes together there was just such sloppy play on the ball from us and it really went downhill from uh, from the second minute or whenever it was when Ollie Clark put that amazing cross in it was a brilliant ball in from out wide and obviously JCH bundled it over the line but from that point on the football was just horrendous um out of possession defensively i thought we were good players were throwing their bodies on the line we looked solid as we always do really under gc but in terms of in possession i just thought it was a really really bad bad performance as a few of them have been recently uh what what are your thoughts on it pretty similar to what you just said really i mean you can't really argue with how we did defensively and how well drilled we were in in sort of defending those set pieces which sort of gave us gave us a few problems at the memorial stadium um it definitely seemed like we we've been practicing on to sort of how to counter counter their sort of strengths um and we nullified a lot of their threats and reduced them to sort of pot shots really um that said it was it was i agree with what you're saying it was quite an embarrassing performance in front of the cameras um not even getting like five yard passes right um and not just on one or two occasions, but throughout the game. We didn't seem to have a game plan um, at all. I mean, if, if we hadn't gone 1-0 up, I don't know what, what we were really going to try and do. I don't know if, if it was because we scored that early goal that we sort of resorted to playing longer passes and, and just sitting back and defending the lead, um, or if that was sort of the game plan all along, because it just seemed that there was no real clear structure or plan to, to the what we were trying to do there was no passages of play we weren't trying to build an attack we weren't trying to keep the ball it was just playing it to to the two strikers and hoping that they would just score goals out of nothing um which was just frankly embarrassing um but yeah i guess you know please please to go through to the second round for the first time in four seasons um but there's not really much you can say about that performance other than it was pretty dire yeah, very much a job done night, wasn't it, and get through, but nothing to write home about at all in terms of how we played, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Andy asks, how do you feel about the plastic pitch at Bromley? Did it affect our style of play? What do you think? Um, so I love how he's written style in the in the <laughs> inverted commas there, as in what style. Um, so uh, I think it probably affected the game somewhat. 
um in terms of like i said for the previous answer bromley are obviously a lot more suited to that surface than we are which is a benefit for them um but having said that do i think that it massively affected the way that we played not really because if we're being brutally honest our style of play doesn't really involve a lot of the ball being on the ground you know whether we're home or away uh i would say the ball spends certainly at least 50 percent of the time (laughs) above the pitch so regardless of whether the pitch is made of sand or grass or water or whatever (laughs) i'm not sure it really makes that much of a difference when we're lumping it up to jch from 70 yards back um so I don't really think it had that much of an effect. And like you said previously, we had players such as Ollie Clark, Circum, not to single them out um, for particular criticism, but I noticed that them in particular were just giving away balls when there was players free to them five yards to the side and they were just completely mishitting the pass and playing it too far in front of them, too far behind them. And we were just giving the ball away really simply. And I... I with the best one in the world, I don't think you can really put that down to the pitch. Um, what do you think? Yeah, you can't really blame that on the pitch, you're right. And I think the fact that we've been training on that surface all week, um, I think Coughlin was saying he had them on um, 4G pitches at sort of 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night um, in the freezing cold at this time of year, just sort of getting them used to the exact conditions they'd be playing on. That's so Coughlin, isn't it? I love that. It is very Coughlin, but by the same token... What did we learn from it? What did we do with it other than maybe learn how to defend against it? Because on the ball, we didn't show any sort of adaptation to that surface at all. Um, and in fact, we were sort of passed off the park by a Bromley side who really we should have been turning over. I mean, I know they're flying high in their league, but um, when you look at the, the League Two teams we played in Cups this season, Swindon and Plymouth and um, Cheltenham as well, we sort of wiped the floor with all of them bar Plymouth, really. Um just outclassed them and, and looked we have looked a league above but with with uh, Bromley for some reason we just almost sort of gave them too much respect or just sat back too much and focused on how to counteract them rather than playing to our strengths and um, for all the work that we supposedly did on the plastic pitch in the week there was nothing to show for it really I don't think. I guess uh, it's probably worth saying that Bromley are a very direct physical side and so you know, what was it? There was some mad stat about how many of their goals have come from set pieces. It's yeah, 40 it like 40% percent. or Yeah, which is just insane, really. And it says everything about the type of team they are. You know, they're very physical, hit it long, up to the big men type side. And with us being not too dissimilar from that, I guess, you know, it was never going to be the prettiest game to watch, really, when you've got two sides like that going head to head. So, um, and I thought we stood up to that really well. I thought our back three were you know superb really especially with uh with rolling coming in as well i thought he was really impressive so um so it was never going to be a great game to watch uh and we got through it so let's um let's just take that and run i guess um so next question then which is a position specific one from oliver who says wing backs what is the point when they never cross the halfway line okay yeah sure um i certainly see that was the case um, for, for large periods of the game on on Tuesday. Um, I think Leahy and Little did struggle in the game because I think the rest of the team didn't really transition with them whenever we were in possession. 
it was sort of left to them to sort of get forward and support the two strikers while the midfield three sort of sat back. Um, so I, I feel it was more difficult for them um, to, to sort of transition and get up the pitch. But I, I do think generally throughout the season, our wingbacks have been very, very high. Um, and I think they press very high and, and they win the ball. And I quite often, when I'm stood in the Blackthorn end, Luke Leahy is pretty much always on the byline, ready to sort of get that pass back from a striker and, and hook a cross in. Um, and I, I think our wingbacks have been pretty much instrumental to our early, earlier success this season. You only need to look at Josh Hare and how well he was doing um, prior to his injury to sort of see the see the proof is in the pudding with that one. Um, they do get high and they do get dangerous crosses in, and it's something that we've missed since Hare's been out, and it's something that seems pretty integral to our, our identity in this 3-5-2. Um, but maybe in recent weeks, I, I do agree with what Oliver's saying. We, they haven't been as potent. Um, maybe that's because Mark Little's come back in. Um, if I'm honest, I've been a little bit disappointed with Little. Um, I will give him the benefit of the doubt because I think he's had a few injury problems um, and he's not quite settled yet in, the, in this side. Um, when Robin was, was starting at wing-back, I think he, he did a lot better and we were getting a lot higher. Um, so to answer his question, I, I, I do agree that there's no point in having them if they're not going to get high up the pitch. But it's not solely, solely down to them. It should be the, the team as a whole who support those wing-backs because you can't just have a, a wing-back running down the bike running down the, the touchline and um, he's not going to beat beat his man and, and get to the byline every time, not without options inside to pass to. So, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of all I have to say about that, really. Yeah, and I think um, last night, I thought the for the first 15 minutes or so, I thought the wing-backs were pressing really high um, and trying to get in the, the faces of the opposition full-backs when they had the ball. Um, when we had the ball, I think the team in general didn't really get up the pitch because we couldn't string anything together. So the wing backs were never going to be able to move up as one as a sort of whole unit with the rest of the team in an attacking sense, because that just wasn't happening. So, um, and in general, I would say that um, I would say I would agree. I think our, our wing backs do get high up the pitch and I use this app called sofa score on my phone. Um, I don't, I get no commission from people downloading that by the way, but um <laughs> And uh, yeah, so because I have no life, I look at that after every league game and they have uh, these quite cool average player position maps on there. Um, and our wing backs are generally sort of the the fourth, the third, fourth, fifth highest um, placed players on our team in an attacking sense. So obviously the two strikers, usually JCH and one other, are the highest. And then you've maybe got, if Circum's playing, he's usually third just behind them. And then it's usually the two wingbacks who are the next highest. And in general, they're pretty much always over the halfway line as well in terms of their average position for that across the whole game is usually actually in the opposition's half. So I would say that they actually do get quite high up the pitch and maybe that sort of goes against the uh, the reputation that we've given GC of being this ultra defensive manager, uh, cautious manager, when the wingbacks do actually get higher up than I think a lot of us uh, maybe realise or uh, take into account. So, um, and I think the, but I do think the biggest downside of all, of all the wingbacks we have other than maybe THD is that none of them are able to take a man on one-on-one. Yeah. And, um, so unless they're high up the pitch when they receive the ball and in a 
dangerous crossing position as it were not really deep although hair could put in a ball from deep but in general unless they're in a good crossing position they have to turn around and pass it back to a center back or pass inside to a midfielder and they just haven't got it in them to either the pace or just it's just not within their game to take a man on because at the end of the day they're defenders who are being asked to fulfill an attacking role at the same time so maybe it's maybe it's too much to expect but when you look at you know Luton's fullback slash wingbacks they had last season in the diamond they got the ball and they played like wingers because they could then take their man on on the outside and get a ball in and make that space for themselves whereas ours other than maybe like I said THD when he's back fully fit I don't think that's really something they've got in their game so I think that's the the main thing we're missing but in terms of their positions I do think they get quite high up the pitch so yeah um, I mean Mike, Michael Kelly's no James Justin is he so no he's got a little way to go to get to that level for sure um Let's move on to the next one then from Billy, who simply says, roll in starting at Shrewsbury, question mark. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, I can't see any reason why not. He's given a very good account of himself um, in the opportunity he's been given. Um, and given the fact that we don't really know how long Tom Davies is going to be out for, it sort of makes sense to just stick with the formation we've got, the 3-5-2, which has given us the most success, particularly with Clark Harris back now. He's sort of the focal point in that in that formation. Um, it makes sense to have Rollin in as a like-for-like like, uh, with Davies um, and hopefully he can sort of build on the opportunity he's been given because he got man of the match against Bromley and I, I, I tended to agree with that from what I saw. I thought he was the best of the three centre-backs um, who for me were probably the only three decent players on the pitch for us um, on the night. Uh, and yeah, I'm really keen to see more of him because it's great to see young players come through. And if I'm honest, I think this might be Tony Craig's last season with us as a pro. Um, he may retire into coaching at the end of the year, end of the season. Uh, and Rollins sort of a, a ready-made replacement. Maybe we can put Davies in in the centre of that back three and, and Rollins out on the um, on the right. Uh, that could potentially be an option, assuming we don't bring another centre back in. Um, I don't see that there'd really be any need to if Rollins carries on the way he has been and carries on his development and sort of stakes a claim for for a place in the team. To be think? honest, every time he's um every time he's actually got a chance in the first team, I've always been pretty impressed with him. Um I think I really like that he's got a bit of pace about him. He seems I think he's by far the quickest centre back we have across the ground. And um when you look at someone like I don't know, obviously I'm not comparing him to him, but when you look at someone like Van Dyke, who's big, strong, but also no player is outpacing him in an attacking sense. You know, no one can run past him. Um, and I think Rowling kind of has that to his game in that I wouldn't fancy many people to take him on in a foot race either, as well as him being, you know, a huge bloke who's probably stronger than most opposition anyway. And I think that's that's um, in terms of just his physical attributes. I think he's really got it all. Um, and I'm going to drop a huge bomb here. So hopefully we can put in some kind of... Uh, sound effect after like a mic drop or something and i'm going to predict for that mate oh yeah that's true actually i'm going to predict that Rollin will go on to be a better center back for us than kilgore oh massive show are you just saying that as like a knee-jerk reaction no no i'm not at all no i'm not (laughs) i i mean it's based on very little i will give you that it is based on very little and this isn't me criticizing kilgore in any way because i also think that he's going to be he already looks like an amazing player for us and i think he's going to just be immense but i don't know just got a feeling about 
old role in, I think he's going to go on to be a really, really, really top centre back, maybe you know, championship sort of level. Um, they've both already got the physical side down. They're, they're, yeah. they're sort of, they've probably even got a couple of years left of growing, maybe. Um, so physically, they look like they're going to make it. At, uh, they could make it at the highest level physically. In terms of ability, they've still got a lot to prove. I, I think Kilgore's been more than good enough for this level. Um, I don't think he's a top defender at this level. I think he's an okay defender at this level, and he's got a lot to learn still. He's Same got with a Rollick. mistake in him, hasn't he? They're young. At the yeah. end of their young centre-backs are always going to make a wreck. Um, but they've both got a very high ceiling, I think, and Coughlin is the perfect manager to coach both of them. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Let's move on to the next question then. Uh, Forever Blue has messaged in and asked, what is a fan's priority, entertainment or results? I know you're very keen to answer this one. Yeah, so we uh, yeah <laughs> we were ch- we were chatting about this the other night in our group chat, weren't we? And I went on a bit of a rant about a bit of a rant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I snapped. So it was about this line which I keep seeing trotted out on the forum and Twitter and stuff recently, which is it's a result biz a results business, and just in my opinion, it's just a bit of a cliche that gets thrown about essentially to defend poor football. And I think the problem is that that line just completely disregards the fact that not every team up and down the country has the same end goal for their season and is in the same league position with the same, you know, realistic ambition for their campaign. Um, and I think for managers, so obviously in our case for GC, in terms of keeping their jobs, it's a results business is definitely true because GC will not get sacked whilst he's getting the current results that he is and rightly so because we're progressing in cups we're doing very well in the league just outside the playoffs and so it would be absolute madness for us to get rid of him whilst he's getting the results he is so in terms of managers and their job security it definitely is a results business so from that point of view I completely agree but when you're looking at it from the point of view of us fans and I'd say even the club in general I think the level of performances and the entertainment value definitely does matter and if it didn't then why would any football fan bother going to watch their team live because if results are literally the be all and end all then surely all of us regardless of how much we love our club would just choose one of the many many other let's face it, cheaper and less time-consuming ways to spend our Saturdays than following our football clubs up and down the country. And there's so many things, there's so many choices now of what people can do entertainment-wise on a weekend to fill their time. And football has a lot to compete with. And so when the entertainment isn't there, why would you continue going? And, you know, personally speaking, I went to the, I think it was the MK. Don's game at the Mem this season where we won 1-0 and it was just it was such a boring game and to be honest I got no more satisfaction coming away from that with those three points than I did when I came out the cinema after watching Joker and I looked at my phone and saw we'd be in Rochdale and I was just as happy because to be honest I'd been more entertained for the last couple of hours watching that film which for anyone who hasn't seen it is cracking and go and see it before it goes out of cinemas and it was just as satisfying to me because the result is the only thing that we're getting because there is no entertainment. So why would I have made the trip? Because there was nothing attracting me to go. Um, 
And if we look at attendances at the moment this season, they are down, I'd say, by about <clears throat> maybe 1,500 for some games. Um, and the atmosphere at the Mem has just completely fallen off a cliff. You know, th- we're lucky to get a decent rendition of Goodnight Irene per home game now. Um, it's just absolutely died. And we've not just randomly become terrible fans overnight. You know, it's dead at the Mem because the football is... I don't want to be too harsh but it's atrocious most of the time to watch and so it's affecting attendances it's affecting the atmosphere and the atmosphere is a large part of the reason why a lot of us go to watch live football you know it's something which I think when we were younger and started going to games maybe we don't remember what the football was like when we started going but the main thing I remember from when my dad first started taking me to the Mem was you get swept along in the atmosphere and you heard the Blackthorn singing and it was exciting and it made you want to go back as a young kid and it it got you hooked and at the moment there's none of that you know there's absolutely nothing there's no excitement at the games there's no atmosphere it's just dead and if kids go now I'm not surprised if even if they come away from a game that we've won, there's no sort of inclination for them to want to return again because it's just dull. And with attendances as down as they are, the club's going to be losing even more money each week than we already were, which was about, I don't know, something ridiculous, 60 odd thousand. And in a way, I know we're talking about, or earlier we were talking about the cup runs and bringing in more money from that. But with the attendances down so much, that almost cancels out the, any extra funds we might bring in from a cup run in the FA Cup or what have you. So it, I just don't agree. I, it's not just a results business, because if it were, then all of the things I've just said, I don't think would be the case. And I think I think it's all true. And performances and entertainment, maybe it's not the main thing. You know, it's hard to argue that results are the most important thing, but... I don't think they're the only important thing and it's not as black and white as to say that. So yeah. if if it was if it was the case that the result is all that matters, then why would any of us go to watch football? Yeah. Would Stadiums be would be empty. Every stadium would be empty because yeah. And um when we sort of did this on, on the first take of us doing this podcast, <laughs> um you were saying that um you get the point when teams are grinding towards something such as a title win or or grinding towards playoffs or, or or to get to safety from relegation do you, do you think that's that's the case yeah yeah 100 percent. so when there's a when there's a sort of tangible end goal like for liverpool obviously the top of the premier league haven't won it before absolutely desperate to win it so for sure every single liverpool fan around the world would take dire football for the rest of the season if it meant they're winning the premier league and i get that that's fair enough leeds desperate to get back into the premier league Again, they would take horrendous football for the rest of the season if it meant they returned to the Premier League. I get that. For us, realistically, we're not going down. We're not going up. So we pretty much know right now in November that we're going to be finishing in one of the, what, eight, nine, ten mid-table positions. Are we really saying that it's worth terrible football just to finish 13th rather than 15th? I mean... We're not aiming for any big goal that means that putting up with terrible football is worth it. We're aiming for a mid-table position, which realistically is probably our ceiling until something happens off the pitch. So I just can't see how the football is, you know, it's just not, it's just not enough. I I can't see how it's enough, but 
I do get what people are saying. And I think in a in a cup run, maybe you can say, yeah, like like against Bromley, we were saying earlier, it's the sort of night where you say, all right, terrible football, but job done through to the next round. That's that's the goal. But again, that's because there's a tangible goal. You need to win that game to get through to the next round. That's a sort of short term goal you're trying to achieve. But in a league where you're not going to go up, I can't see how it's worth it. I just don't. But um, but yeah, I just don't think it's the same scenario for every club. Like I said, for Liverpool, Leeds, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I get it. But for us, I don't think it's the case. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the end of my rant. Fair enough. I can't really add anything to that. Fair. Uh, let me ask you this one then. Let's move on to the January window, which obviously is coming up quite fast. Uh, so Ryan and Jack sent in quite similar questions, which is, as January is a matter of weeks away, who do we need to bring into the club in the upcoming transfer window and why? Good question. Um, I think it's something that we're starting to look at now. As January does approach, I think a lot of people are sort of speaking on Twitter about what our number one priority should be in terms of a player. If we could only, it looks like we're probably only maybe going to get one or two uh, given our budget restraints. And if that is the case, what do we need to prioritise? Uh, and for me, I, I certainly think we need a central midfielder. Um, and I don't mean another Agogo or uh, Upson or Ollie Clark or Luke Russ style player. We need a, a proper ball playing central midfielder who can put his foot on the ball, pick a pass, transition the play, provide a threat from the edge of the area, um, do all the things which we currently lack in the middle of the park. Because um, I just think we've just got no real potency in, down the middle of this 3-5-2. Um, and it does look like we're probably going to stick with this formation uh, as our primary sort of tactic. Uh, and if that's the case, we do need to look at where we are weak with it and where we're strong with it. Where we're strong is obviously the three centre-backs, very good. Uh, we've got a natural goal scorer in Johnson up front, um, and the wing-backs have generally been of a good standard. Um, defensive midfielders, in terms, I think Upson's been good, Agogo's been okay, um, but Ollie Clark and Circum have been pretty poor in my opinion, and we could definitely do with a central midfielder. Someone like a young Chris Lines who can get the ball with pace, drive at the opposition, transition the play, and get us into that final third cause their defence to panic a little bit and open up channels for the strikers to run into and again thread that pass through. So that's that's what I would look for in, as a priority signing. Definitely a central midfielder, a number eight star player who can who can carry the ball and give us a threat from the middle. Because if, if your threat's just coming from out wide and just from the strikers, then you become very one-dimensional to defend against. We need to have threats from all directions, from, from out wide, up front and, and through the middle of the park as well so that it opens up larger pockets of space for all of our attacking players to move into and get into good opportunities um but also you were saying think, last night you feel you were a striker as well weren't you yeah i was about to say oh yeah i was about to add i think um our striking options other than johnson are very very poor um obviously Nichols. we don't really need to go into too much depth on that everyone knows he's a disaster of a signing um even i've lost my patience with him now and i've, I've been a long long-term Nichols supporter um i think I think if if we can get rid of him in January, that would that would open up open up space to bring in another striker. Um, let's be honest. Over the past sort of two years, we've been pretty bad at signing strikers. I don't think Gavin Riley was particularly fantastic at this level. Um, Adebayo has been a pretty mixed bag for me. He's quite skillful, but it doesn't it doesn't really seem to come off for him too often in matches. Smith's got pace and a good shot on him, but again, he doesn't. Just the way we play. 
he's sort of having to do it on his own really because um, no he's not no one's really playing that ball to him that he likes to run onto he's sort of having to hold the ball up and lay it off more than he's getting in on goal um and obviously yeah we spoke about Nichols but Johnson's the only one who really sort of stands out so I don't really know what style of striker we need like I said Adebayo is quite tricky but it's not worked Nichols is a very nicey nicey technical one touch footballer and it's not worked for him Smith's a very quick striker and it's not worked for him Riley's a hard working striker who will give you 100% again it's not worked for him so I don't really know what the perfect sort of complementary striker would be for Johnson I'm, I'm, I'm not a scout so I can't really tell you what what's not worked um but I definitely think we need something different to what we've currently got. Um, maybe another physical striker, um, so we can be a bit more of a battering ram up front um, and make us even more difficult to defend against. Um, but yeah, I definitely think those are the two positions I would prioritise, central midfield uh, and another striker. What do you think? I've, yeah, I completely agree, basically. I haven't got much to add to that, really. That Those are uh, the two positions which I think are key for us in January if we can add them if we could only add one if the budget was that tight I would definitely prioritize the central midfielder because um, you know without wanting to hammer them Ollie Clark and Circum have both been badly off form this season and they're well, meant that's to twice be... you've hammered them this episode now so it does sound so, like you do want to hammer them brackets I do mean to hammer them um <laughs> have both been badly off form this season and at the end of the day they're the two midfielders out of the four we've got that are meant to be the ones who can add some goals and assists and just sort of some nice build-up play from midfield and they've not done it you know maybe they've done it in one match each or something this season so far and it's just not enough and it's part of the reason why we're such a stodgy side that largely bypasses the midfield to be honest, in possession. Um, so definitely a number eight with a bit of pace as well would be nice because I think we're quite a slow side in general. Um, and then I, as for the striker, you would, you know, talking about the the profile of striker we should bring in. Um, I think the ideal would be someone in the mould of Nichols. So that sort of drop off deep uh, technical striker who likes to come and get the ball to feet and has a nice touch and can play a pass either out to the wing backs or thread through the other striker probably jch or find one of the midfielders coming through the middle or you know someone who has good footballing ability like nichols does but obviously also can not stick it in the net yeah <laughs> yeah so like a connor someone chaplin can or that score kind of a football goal would be great but um yeah. yeah i think that would be um especially with us like i just said not having those midfielders who are particularly technically brilliant, having someone like Nichols up front who's dropping off into the pockets, but who can also get on the end of stuff in the box and score a goal, I think would be absolutely ideal. And JCH has said a couple of times, I think in interviews that he really likes playing with Nichols. So I think he obviously sees a player in the Nichols sort of mold as someone who brings the best out of him and to be honest, if we can keep bringing the best out of JCH, then we haven't really got any anything to worry about. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so that's what I'd go for. Yeah, and speaking of JCH, uh, we've got a question related to him uh, from CJ, who sent in this question, which uh, which asks, what is JCH's true valuation, considering his current contract length, recent injury history, current form, how important he is to us, and the state of the current market? He also adds that if he was a Peterborough player, he thinks they would get five million minimum for him. Uh, yeah, 
Um, a nice snappy question there from CJ. Um, <laughs> uh, like I said last night, I'm essentially going to repeat what I said last night. Repeat what I said last night. So sorry to bore you, but I would take two million plus for him if a club came in on the first of January and offered us two million, and GC could get maybe half of that. A million towards the debts, a million for GC to go towards transfer fees and wages for additions in January. I feel like there's the potential for us to come out at the end of January a stronger overall side uh, with those funds added to his kitty than if we held out for an amount that put every club off and we didn't get any money for him in January, if that makes sense. Um, So, yeah, I would say two million plus and I'd snap someone's hand off as long as it was towards the front of the window and not on the last day where we haven't got any time to do anything with the cash, obviously. Um, But I know you think he's worth more than that, don't you? Yeah, I definitely do. When you look at the likes of Ivan Tony at Peterborough, who scored roughly the same amount of goals in the calendar year and is only a year younger. um, And Peterborough sort of asking, well, they, they turned down, I think, five six million in the summer for him or something wasn't and if they turn down four million they think they can get six or seven for him um they see him as sort of the next dwight gale um because he obviously came from peterborough as well so you know if they can ask that much for a striker who's only a year younger than johnson there's absolutely no reason why we can't sort of stand our ground a little bit more and say you know what he is the main man for us and we won't sort of be shirted for less than he's worth um there's a ridiculous amount of money in football now particularly in the championship um, we're seeing, you know, 20, 20 million bids flying around in the league above for for players who aren't even top players in that league. Um, so there's no reason why League One can't sort of stand its ground a bit more and try and get a bit more of that money that's coming down from the Premier League and the Championship. Um, you look at Sunderland, who spent four million on Will Grigg um, in this division last season. Um, if we want to compete and we want to continue to stay in this division, then we're going to need to adapt and stand our ground. And uh, like CJ said, you know, if, Peter, if he was a Peterborough player, they would be demanding a lot more for him. And if we want to adapt to that model and sort of become a little bit more of a money ball side who do sign in, interesting and exciting young players for cheap and then develop them and sell them on, then we're going to need to sort of almost use Johnson as a case study and say he's an example of a player we've, we've brought on and developed and we want to be rewarded for that. And we're not going to be shortchanged because we're not a big club, um, you know, like Sunderland. You know, we need to sort of stand our ground and say, we're in this league. He's scored this many in the league, so he's worth this. Um, and I think, if I'm honest, it's a lot more than two million. So um, we should really stand our ground. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I can't disagree with that. And it would be nice if we didn't get bent over for once <laughs> for our best players and yeah, accept the first offer that came in. So um so yeah i i get where you're coming from for sure and pete like like he said peterborough definitely would get a couple of million more than we're probably going to get for him because for some reason they seem to be able to hold out for much bigger well, fees they, they've people. got a, they've built themselves a reputation now where they are a little bit of a premium club and you do have to pay a little bit more to get their best players because they've got a track record of producing these top championship players so they're almost seen as a luxury market getting a player from peterborough and if we take an offer that's too low, we're going to be seen as a bargain basement for, for all time. If we want to get more money, then we need to demand more money so that we then become... Do you get what I'm trying to say? So that yeah, we... no, I do. I think... Um, yeah, no, I definitely do. I think when we when we go from 
I struggled to see us going from accepting, what was it, 750k in about 30 instalments from Ipswich <laughs> to holding out for like 5 million for JCH. That would just be an insane change of, I don't know, resilience from our club. Uh, but I do I do get what you're saying. Yeah, There's a, if we continue to accept shite bids, to put it bluntly, then teams are always going to bid shite bids in the future because they think that they can get away with that so yeah i yeah yeah, i agree uh lee has asked a bit of a jokey one instead of being sent off for red cards players should be made to wear rollerblades for the remainder of the match thoughts i think that's an atrocious shape lee um (laughs) because can you imagine if tony craig two foot someone and get sent off, and you're then putting rollerblades on him. <laughs> He's going to be clogging around that pitch in rollerblades, probably falling all over the place, injuring himself, and and no doubt others. But if he then goes in on another two-footed challenge on someone else, they've got you know an entire roller skate going into their shin, which is even more dangerous. Um, whilst it would be comical and obviously quite amusing to watch, careers um, are going to be but, ending all over the shop. Aren't yeah, they? would not be it would not be a, a, a very good solution to. Um, about a problem, the problems with discipline we have in this country. Um, I'd argue that sticking a pair of rollerblades on Ollie Clark for most of the season would have maybe improved his performances. Yeah, potentially. I mean, it definitely would have improved his touch. Yeah. Yeah. What about rollerblades on a on a 4G pitch at Bromley? Because that's a bit less just of a muddy surface. That. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that probably probably suits it more than than the mem pitch. I would say. Well, the mem pitch is a carpet, but yeah, I think. 4G definitely. Although the little black bobbly bits, how would they would they get stuck in the spokes of the? They don't have spokes, do they? I'm talking about a bike, can I? But yeah. would they get stuck in the wheels of a rollerblade? I'm not Potentially. sure. Potentially. What would have been entertaining me. is uh, seeing a player get their wheel caught in the the hole that the Bromley fans burnt in their own pitch <laughs> with the flare. <laughs> JCH yeah, threw good. on goal, and his the front wheel of his rollerblade gets caught in the hole, and he goes. It would ah, be so Nichols as well, wouldn't it? Who just yeah. about to be tapping in the winner. His wheel would get caught. <laughs> Devastating. And he'd end up in the goal, but the ball would go harmlessly rolling across the box <laughs> untouched. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my thoughts, definitely. Fantastic. Uh, right. Let's wrap it up there then. I think we've waffled on for long enough. So thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, I think Max and I are both praying that when we click stop record in a minute, that it will actually save, unlike last night. <laughs> if so. this doesn't save, I'm absolving the podcast. Uh, yeah, 100%. Entirely. It's just going to be dissolved and you'll never have to listen to us again, uh, fortunately yeah. for you. So I was about to say join us for the, for the next episode next week, but this could be the final gas cast you will ever hear. So um, it all depends on if Skype behaves itself in a second. So... Thank you for listening and hopefully we will speak to you again soon. Up the gas. Up the gas. <laughs>